in-depth discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue. This is Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Moshatama, and uh, you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. On DSTV, we're on Channel 902. Don't forget that uh, you can also stream us live every day on uh, www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to look at the big story when it comes to health. Everyone is talking about the Zika virus fever. What is it? So we'll be looking at that a little bit later. Let's quickly move on. And Musa is standing by to give us our news update. In the headlines, Nigeria under fire for not providing results of an inquiry into a military massacre of hundreds of Muslims. Six suspected militants killed in a drone strike in Yemen. And South Africa's Constitutional Court says it's up to the political parties to decide on President Jacob Zuma's Nkandla proposal. Um, and Musa, a very good morning to you. Authorities in Nigeria have come under fire for not providing the results of an inquiry that was to be conducted into a military massacre of hundreds of Muslims in the northern city of Zaria in December last year. Almost two months after Nigerian soldiers attacked the followers of the Islamic movement of Nigeria, the Kaduna state government has not yet released any details about the investigation. Critics say authorities have been conducting a sham investigation into the massacre. In January, government announced the composition of the Judicial Commission of Inquiry into the massacre. UN brokered talks involving the warring parties in Syria have been temporarily suspended. The talks officially got underway on Monday. The UN Special Envoy for Syria, Stefan de Mistura, made the announcement in Geneva, saying they were not delivering any humanitarian benefits for the Syrian people. The United Nations estimates that more than 250,000 people have been killed in the Syrian crisis, which enters its sixth year next month. Matthew Wells reports. Mr. Demistura told reporters that he'd made the decision to bring the talks to what he described as a temporary pause. Representatives from the Syrian government and various opposition groups have been in Geneva all week in order to hold so-called proximity talks, meeting separately with the UN envoy. Mr. Demistura said that the suspension did not amount to a failure of the talks and added that they would resume on February the 25th. He indicated that with no ceasefire, no end to aerial bombardment or crippling sieges in sight, he would not continue with talks for the sake of talks. The European Union is urging Libya's factions to support a broad-based unity government to face the prospect of more chaos. Dutch Foreign Minister Beer Kunders says the EU hopes Libyan decision-makers will realise there is no alternative to a unity government. Libya has been split between two rival governments since 2014, a consequence of the chaos that engulfed the country after a 2011 uprising that toppled and killed long-time leader Muammar Gaddafi. A drone strike has killed six suspected al-Qaeda militants in an attack in eastern Yemen. Tribal sources say the apparent U.S. drone strike targeted a car traveling in al-Rauda city in Shabwa province. It's a remote desert area in which al-Qaeda militants are believed to be operating. Drones have been targeting the province this year. Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula has taken advantage of a conflict putting Houthi militiamen against forces loyal to President Abrabu Mansur Hadi to grab territory and operate more openly. And finally, South Africa's Constitutional Court says it's up to the political parties and the public protector to decide on President Jacob Zuma's and Kandla proposal. The court has written to the parties saying the proposal calls for no further directions from the court at this stage. 
Zuma has proposed that the Auditor-General and the Finance Minister determine how much he owes for non-security upgrades to his private home in Nkandla. He says if the court were to accept his proposal, there would be no need for next Tuesday's hearing to seek clarity on the powers of the public protector. Candice Nolan reports. The court requested the parties, including the DA, EFF and Public Protector, to let them know by close of business tomorrow whether any agreement had been reached. The court indicated that such an agreement may have an impact on Tuesday's hearing into the powers of the Public Protector. The DA has already indicated that it does not accept the President's proposal, arguing it was yet another parallel process to the remedial action recommended by the Public Protector. The Public Protector said she is still studying the legal implications of the proposal, while the the EFF is set to hold a press conference later today. Recapping the top stories, Nigerian authorities under fire for not providing results of an inquiry into a military massacre of hundreds of Muslims. Six suspected militants killed in a drone strike in Yemen and South Africa's constitutional court says it's up to the political parties to decide on President Jacob Zuma's Nkandla proposal. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you to Anne Musa for the news update. Now, let's move on to our topic today. We're looking at uh, health today. We're looking at the Zika virus fever that everyone is talking about. Different uh, views that are coming. Sometimes uh, we don't really know what's happening and we need more information, especially when we have something that we really don't understand, such as uh, this uh, particular issue of the Zika virus fever. Well, recently, the World Health Organization Organization or the WHO declared a disease linked to the Zika virus as a global public health emergency. Zika is carried by mosquitoes and has been linked to thousands of babies being born with underdeveloped brains. The World Health Organization declaring a health emergency means that it's up to 194 member states to work together to investigate the cause of the problem. Now, this is the fourth emergency to be declared by the WHO since the system was established in 2005. Really, today we're going to look at uh, understanding the Zika virus. And to assist us on this, we've got Professor Lucille Bloomberg, who is from the National Institute for uh, National uh, Institute for Communicable Diseases. She's the Deputy Director of the Head of Division of uh, Travel Health. We also have Dr. Sarah Baba, who is a representative of the World Health Organization, based here in South Africa. Dr. Thomas Nyerenda joins us once again on our project, on our program, rather, uh, to look at this particular issue. He is from the South-South Networking Capacity Development uh, Department of the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trials Partnership. Now, I want to start with you, Dr. Sarah Baba. Thank you for joining us on our program. Thank you for inviting me. Now, uh, Sarah, tell us a little bit about what are we talking about when it comes to Zika virus so that our uh, listeners can understand what this is. Well, the Zika virus um, occurs in in tropical areas, particularly regions where they have large mosquito populations. Um, and uh, the the Aedes aegypti uh, mosquito that that care that primarily carries the Zika virus is ubiquitous. It's present in Africa, the Americas, Southern Asia, and Western Pacific. So, so it is a um, uh, the the mosquito, the vector that carries this Zika virus is uh, throughout the world. People catch Zika virus. Uh, by being bitten by an infected Aedes mosquito. So this is the same mosquito that carries dengue, it carries chikungunya, it carries yellow fever, um, and uh, these mosquitoes are, are the ones that are responsible for, for transmitting the uh, Zika virus from person to person. The Zika virus is, is typically not a, a clinically serious disease. It causes mild illness, um, people tend to get a slight fever, a rash, um, joint pain, but these symptoms usually are finished in about seven days. The concern in this particular outbreak is that, um, uh, for, for the WHO, is that there has been a recent cluster of microcephaly cases and other neurological disorders uh, reported in Brazil. 
um, that is that is taking place at the same time we do have uh, Zika virus transmission. So microcephaly is actually a very rare condition where a baby has an abnormally small head. So this is really the big concern right now because we're trying to figure out what's happening, what is causing these these this cluster of microcephaly cases, and um, and sorry, and and uh, and whether or not the Zika virus uh, is mm, responsible mm, for mm. these microencephaly cases. Mm. Well, let me move that to you, uh, Professor uh, Lucille Bloomberg. Um, do we know what the symptoms of the Zika virus are and what we should be looking out for? I know that uh, it's spreading uh, in the Americas. I'm not sure if we should be worried here on the continent of Africa. Uh, so those are all different questions. Um, I think Dr. Barber did mention the symptoms. Mm. Um, most uh, people infected will have no symptoms. They mm. will have an asymptomatic infection, and only one in four to five people will have some uh, complaints. Mm. Um, so we'll have fever, okay. uh, muscle pain, joint pain, a rash, uh, red eyes, mm. and it's generally mild and will resolve without treatment within a week. Mm. What are the risks to Africa? Well, it actually is a virus that uh, came from Africa, was identified in the Zika forest in Uganda, in the 1940s um, in some sentinel rhesus monkeys and the first uh, human cases were some years later and it's probably circulated at quite a low level in uh, areas uh, around Uganda, Nigeria, the tropical areas um, but no major outbreaks. Mm. And also in terms of the link to Africa, has this created some form of misperceptions? Uh, Professor Lucille, I know you're based here in South Africa, has this created some form of worry? Well, I think, you know, when there's a new uh, presentation of a virus and this uh, uh, strong association with microcephaly, I think everybody would be absolutely concerned about the effects of this virus. But this has not been seen in, in Africa to date. Um, certainly the, the, the virus has circulated um, in tropical parts of Africa, but quite a low level. In terms of South Africa, um, we do have the Aedes mosquito, we have Aedes aegypti, but it is a different subspecies to the one that is currently um, involved in transmitting um, the virus in South America and other parts of the world. It is not the same. So it may not uh, be able to, to transmit this virus should it... Uh, arrive in South Africa in one means or another. So I think our mm. risks are really very low. Mm. Let me bring in Dr. Thomas Nyerenda. Uh, Dr. Thomas, uh, thank you for also being part of this program. And I know uh, we're going to have to let you go soon. But let's look at what are uh, the concerns right now about this Zika virus, especially from a transmission perspective, and also looking at how it can be contained. Um, what is the uh, health um, uh, industry actually worried about at this particular time? Because we did speak about the issue from uh, Dr. Sarah Baba about uh, uh, this uh, uh, infecting babies being born with underdeveloped brains, that being a new development. Well, Benjamin, uh, thanks again for having me. I think as my colleagues said, um, uh, let's not create uh, kind of a, a catastrophic story here. And uh, if you remember, we had a discussion before about Ebola. Sure. And this is completely different. Um, uh, this um, disease may have been circulating in smaller populations around us uh, and is not by far in any, you know, comparison to the, uh, to the other epidemics that we have. And for the fact that it's spread by a mosquito, uh, then we, we are absolutely certain that in public health terms, uh, we can apply the same measures we, we, we apply to prevent ourselves from getting malaria, um, uh, which is uh, you know, uh, avoiding uh, getting beaten by a mosquito in, in, in first and foremost. Uh, and this is the advice that people um, uh, are being given if you travel to a country like Brazil and you're worried about uh, uh, being beaten by this type of mosquito that carries this kind of virus, 
uh, you avoid uh, getting beaten by a mosquito and you use uh, proper repairing so you sleep under night and um, basic public health uh, principles. But having said that, um, uh, we know that uh, if this becomes a global problem, we will face problem because we don't have a vaccine yet uh, that is known uh, to against it. We don't have drugs uh, that are known to uh, to to combat it. So the the in that respect, uh, it poses a great concern that if it becomes mm-hmm. a global problem, mm-hmm. uh, what are we going to do? But on the other hand. Um, it's not a serious disease, it's, it's a self-resolving uh, disease, except that uh, for pregnant women, uh, unfortunately, as my colleagues have said, uh, it causes this serious defect uh, in children. Mm. Uh, now, you may have heard uh, uh, yesterday uh, the EU, um, uh, under which my organization works, uh, has already allocated some 10 million Euros um, for for Zika research. I think um, this is a, an appropriate response, uh, and one would comment uh, this very quick response. And we wish if we had the same quick response in Ebola epidemic, for example. Uh, but this this is not a cause of alarm. I think this is a, a, an appropriate precautionary. Um, uh, intervention, mm. uh, and we should applaud that. Well, I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back to those issues. Uh, uh, we've seen reports of a case where someone apparently uh, contracted dis- the disease through sex and uh, uh, sexual intercourse. That seems like uh, confusing also uh, the issue here. So we'll look at those particular issues coming back after this per- this break that we're going to right now. Uh, we've got Professor Lucille Bloomberg, who is from the National Institute uh, for Communication disease as well as Dr. Sarah Barber from the World Health Organization. Dr. Thomas Nirenda joins us from the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trials Partnership. What have your perceptions been uh, around the Zika virus? Give us your thoughts about what you think about this uh, topic of today. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical 1. Or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006 Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And for this hour, you're with me, Benjamin Moshatama, right here on African Dialogue. And uh, you're listening to us on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's our website. If you're streaming us live on DSTV, we're on Channel 902. And on our shortwave service, it's on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Today, we're looking at the Zika virus fever, which is making international news. And it seems like there's a lot of confusion around, especially from ordinary citizens' perspective. And we know that the latest report was a case where someone apparently contracted the disease through sexual intercourse. I don't know how uh, really valid that claim is. Dr. Sarah Baba, do we know more about that case? Uh, Yes, Uh, the US CDC did announce um, that there was a case, uh, the first case of transmission by sexual contact in the United States. This was, um, you know, theoretically possible. We knew as early as 2011 that the Zika had been isolated in human semen. Um, so, so this was a possibility before. Um, and we know with, with uh, quite a few viruses and pathogens, even after the, the, it's no longer detected in the blood, it can, these types of viruses can linger in certain body fluids, uh, such as ocular fluids or spinal column fluids or semen. 
We saw this, for example, with Ebola. Um, before, it w since, since the uh, Zika virus disease was not really considered a clinically serious disease, um, this didn't have any cause for concern. But now it is a big concern since we do have this cluster of my cases of microcephaly. So essentially now we're looking into this uh, much more closely to try to figure out just how long the virus may ling linger in body fluids, um, in which body fluids the virus may linger and under what conditions transmission may take place. Mm. Uh, Professor Lucille, looking at uh, this uh, issue here, we know that uh, the World Health Organization has uh, declared a global public health emergency already. Uh, what do we mean when we talk about a global public health emergency? Because some people might be freaking out from this particular term. So um, it, it's really uh, results uh, because it's an extraordinary event. And I think the extraordinary event here is this uh, very large cluster of babies with microcephaly that may have a link to this large outbreak of Zika. And that still needs to be proven. But what it does do is bring a, co a coordinated, concerted uh, effort, lots of resources, and a focus on research that needs to be done to confirm some of the links. Um, and so it brings many people together to, to focus on this and uh, does have some implications for the countries where um, Zika occurs and that they have to really work very hard to try and control uh, mosquito populations and reduce transmission. So, you know, it's been done before for polio, it's done for Ebola, so that it was a coordinated international uh, effort to bring lots more resources and a focus uh, to the problem try and resolve mm. some of the issues. Mm. What does it take, Dr. Thomas Nirenda, for this kind of response? I'm sure it's a lot of work in order to make sure that uh, there is a, a sufficient uh, working together uh, of various countries, especially those who make up part of the World Health Organization. Uh, how, uh, what, what does it take to actually deal with this kind of crisis, uh, especially uh, as a response by using this global health uh, emergency uh, system? Well, uh, uh, it takes a lot of um, effort, and uh, I think uh, one of the uh, major uh, lessons we have learned from Ebola is uh, to act with speed. And uh, in that respect, uh, it requires resources, it requires people's time, it requires organization. Um, and uh, just for example, uh, the example I give you from the EU, uh, apart from uh, just allocating the 10 million euro budget to uh, Zika research, there have been a series of consultations. Um, um, uh, the European Commission has already had a Zika assessment meeting with the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control, uh, where they decided to follow the recommendations from WHO. So it's really um, uh, a matter of having global systems that um, will respond to emergencies uh, at a quick scale and in an efficient manner. And I must say we've learned quite a lot from the Ebola crisis, and uh, it's not surprising that now we see uh, this very big concentrated uh, effort um, from all parts of the world. As you say, we are all a global world, and um, uh, uh, the, the case that uh, my colleague has talked about of uh, uh, some suspected infection uh, from uh, uh, se sexual intercourse, uh, uh, the man had been ab abroad somewhere and, and comes back home and uh, infects the wife. And this, this is how diseases in, in our one global world uh, are you know, spreading at a very fast rate, and uh, you know, people are traveling very fast uh, from one place to another. In, in in just a few hours, you would be somewhere which is uh, ten thousand kilometers away from you, and so the the, the response is has to be enormous and uh, corresponding to the scale of the problem and the catastrophe that it creates. Um, and that takes time and money and effort in terms of countries. And for example, I mean this also is an issue in, the, in our continent. We, mm. need, we, need, we need good responsive system that is well coordinated mm. from the African Union Center uh, that all the states um, are 
put, you know, uh, in order, and there's some order that, you know, requires them to do certain things when we have these types of emergencies. Mm, mm. And it's, 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 a big, it's a big undertaking, but sure. uh, it's unavoidable in the, in the modern world. Mm. Dr. Sarababa, anything you want to add to the response mechanisms um, for the for the public health emergency of international concern, I think the most the most important issue is, of course, that we need more research to come up with a definitive conclusion whether or not these clusters of microcephaly and other neurological disorders are indeed linked causative caused by the Zika virus, or whether or not um, there are other factors present. We know, for example, that these um, these conditions can be caused by environmental factors, rubella infection, exposure to drugs, alcohol toxins. So I think we need to, we need to um, do uh, much more research so that we can make this conclusion definitively. And there's a lot of efforts underway to carry out surveillance. So we really know essentially in areas where there is uh, Zika virus transmission, um, we have to have this uh, stronger surveillance for microcephaly. Well, also I want to look at uh, some of uh, the concern of uh, the resurgence of uh, these uh, viruses that we're seeing lately. What is the cause of that? Let me take it to you, Professor Lucille Bloomberg. Uh, some people say it could be biological warfare. So, oh. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. you know. You know, so there's a lot of assumptions that come out. So I want us to clarify some of those uh, stereotypes. Yes, well, I think we can put that one probably last. <laughs> you know, I don't think all the answers are known. Um, we know that some of these um, pathogens are new um, or newly discovered or people are going into areas where they weren't present before and being exposed by certain activities. We know that there is destruction of forests where some of these pathogens or viruses or bacteria are, are found and then there is contact between perhaps man and the viruses in a slightly different uh, uh, way that they had not been before. So I don't think it's always clear. Um, some may be new and some may be newly discovered. Some may be newly resistant. So I think it is something that we have to expect. We don't know what will appear next, but we need to have systems in place, as uh, one of my colleagues mentioned earlier, to identify unusual events and to respond appropriately and quickly. Mm. And, and Dr. Thomas Nirenda, does the increasing populations in the world create uh, a contributing factor to what we're seeing here? <laughs> that, that's another tough question. Uh, the the ever-increasing populations uh, have caused um, uh, a lot of um, uh, you know, suffering, as, uh, as we know them, in terms of, uh, of public health. I mean, overcrowding and you know, ever increasing populations, uh, ever decreasing social uh, standard of living, and uh, all those that are associated with poverty uh, are known to be exacerbating factors for um, uh, public health problems. And when it comes to uh, to Zika, for example, uh, for the fact that it is linked to a mosquito, then we we know that um, uh, it will affect certain areas uh, where uh, poor populations are are, and it's a it's a tropical climate where the mosquito is uh, rampant because the, uh, the the temperatures are vulnerable. Unfortunately, it's the same areas where overcrowding, poverty, and other diseases uh, are also. Uh, so a problem. So there is a, there is a link, but uh, as one of my colleagues said, I think we need to be very careful before we draw any conclusions. Uh, we need um, it's a new new disease, old disease that is reemerging. I must say, uh, when I was in a medical school in the 80s, and I, I never was taught by my professors about Zika at all. And but it, you know, although it was found in 1947, or it's linked to 1947 in the forests in, in Uganda. Um, it, it didn't just come up in the curriculum, and now it, the disease is coming up. And we need we need concrete information, scientific information uh, that um, uh, tells us uh, the nature of the disease. We know it's transmission, but it's linkage to other issues like microcephaly, as we have already pointed out. Um, and and of course, if it is uh, going to be uh, something that 
it really comes to the scale yeah. of HIV, TB, HIV, malaria, and others, mm. uh, we'll be thinking about um, uh, let's have a vaccine here. Let's have sure. a, a drug uh, that uh, that helps us to combat this. Mm. Um, we were really lucky that uh, it is uh, a self-limiting disease, and um, apart from uh, the devastating, you know. Uh, 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 sequelae in children um, uh, but in terms of people uh, losing uh, their working hours and mm. others it's, it's not uh, it's not up to the mm. scale mm. of AIDS mm. or uh, malaria or, or others really debilitating diseases it's uh, within a week or so a mm. person would be fine um, but uh, let's produce enough data, cost data, scientific data, and uh, do proper research. The trouble is when the disease is rare, uh, mm. and it's occurring in just small hotspots, mm. conducting good research and producing statistically significant data is also a challenge. You need, uh, you need quite a good number of cases before you can infer on what is really going on. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but that is what, where we come back to investments. Mm. Uh, what, where do we get investments and who are the, the mm. parties mm. that are coming to the table to put these uh, monies together so that we get information that we require. That's, the, mm. that's really uh, the partnership issue that uh, needs to drive this. Well, I'm going to go to another break. Uh, thank you to Dr. Thomas Nirenda, who is uh, the South-South Networking and Capacity Development Manager at the European and Developing Countries Clinical Trials uh, Partnership. And then when we come back, we're going to wrap up this conversation with Professor Lucille Bloomberg and Dr. Sarah Baba. What are the conversations you've been having around the Zika virus? Give us your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. And uh, when we come back, we'll look at other themes uh, relating to this uh, uh, issue. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. My body has frozen in our frosts and in our latter-day snows. It has thawed in the warmth of our sunshine and melted in the heat of the midday sun. The crack and the rumble of the summer thunders, lashed by startling lightning, have been a cause both of trembling and of hope. The fragrances of nature have been as pleasant to us as the sight of the wild blooms of the citizens of the felt. The dramatic shapes of the dragon's back, the soil-colored waters of the Likwa, Ikreli, Lotugel, and the sands of the Kharahad have all been panels of the set on the natural stage on which we act out the foolish deeds of the theater of the day. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushata. I'm right here on Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue. Today we're looking at uh, the Zika virus and looking at what it is, trying to understand it, because uh, uh, sometimes in the media we just assume things and quickly move on to how many deaths, never really unpacking what something is. So we really want to just pause a little bit and look at what the virus is and also how we can respond to it and how, what we should be looking out for as ordinary citizens of this global world. And and uh, I want to move to you, Dr. Sarah Barber, looking at uh, the reports that have come out and just the conversations that are happening uh, around Zika virus. I know myself as a journalist, especially working in the uh, journalism field, sometimes uh, us as the media, we're very fast-paced, as I mentioned, uh, after the break. Just uh, uh, what have been some of the reports that have come out that actually are not uh, the way people should be looking at uh, the, the Zika virus? And what... Uh, uh, stereotypes can we debunk? Well, I think the, the first issue is that um, WHO did declare a public health emergency of international concern. However, this doesn't mean that we should panic. Um, and the concern is not related, it, it is related to the Zika virus, but it's primarily based on this recent cluster of microcephaly cases and other neurological disorders. Um, the Zika virus transmission is taking place in, in about 25 countries, um, but the, the concern really is the association between the Zika virus and these 
this, these cases of microcephaly, which is a very rare condition. So I think that that's a, quite important to remember. Um, in addition, uh, again, you know, people need to know that transmission is taking place in about 25 countries. So it's important to to keep that in mind. Um, those areas where active transmission is taking place, and um, in those areas in particular, people have to to remember, even even though that we have a lot of information about sexual transmission, this is actually one case, and the majority of people who get infected with Zika are infected through the bite of, of an infected Aedes mosquito. And we do have really solid public health measures. You know, if you don't want to get bitten by mosquitoes, you need to use insect repellent, wear long sleeve clothes, sleep under mosquito nets, um, and make sure that uh, your living area is clean. We don't have standing water around your home. So there's a, a lot of very important basic public health measures that we can do. And also, just looking at Africa as a continent, do we know which countries in Africa are affected? Have, has, have there been any countries, just for clarification in, in this regard? Well, out of the the 25 countries with active transmission, there is one in Africa. Cape Verde is the one country where we do have active transmission. Um, And we have had past transmission in some countries in Central Africa, as you were mentioning, Uganda. We've seen it in Central African Republic, Gabon. Um, uh, so, so some of the countries in Central Africa have reported past transmission, but um, we have had no reports uh, of cases of this microcephaly um, outside of Brazil and in French Polynesia in 2014. Hmm. Uh, Professor Lucilla, as, as we wrap up the conversation, how do we actually make sure that we deal with this in a responsible manner moving forward from the media, from the uh, public health sector uh, to the private health sector and even governments themselves? I think it's about sharing responsible information and I think Dr. Barber really highlighted um, the, the focus of the concern about Zika is in pregnant women that for the majority of the population, it's a mild, self-limiting illness. And it's this link that we still need to confirm between Zika and the occurrence uh, of microcephaly. So there's still a number of scientific questions that need to be answered. And I think, uh, um, I think that's where the focus needs to be and is, is a critical question that needs to be answered. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you to Professor Lucille Bloomberg, who is from the National Institute for the National Institute for Communicable Diseases. And also thank you to Dr. Sarah Barber, who is the World Health Organization. Before I let you go, are there any areas that both of you want to cover before I let you go? Dr. Sarah Barber, maybe you want to cover something I haven't asked just just to make sure. I think we've covered um, a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Just to just to note that um, the the emphasis on the public health emergency of international concern is about um, trying to to confirm this link uh, or confirm or deny the link between Zika virus and microcephaly, and to carry out stronger surveillance so we know a little bit more about what's happening. Um, but that basic public health measures are always good to prevent ourselves to get bitten by mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. Professor Lucille. Yes, I would support that. We need to remember the uh, one of the most important mosquito transmissions uh, are, result, are associated with malaria. It's not the same mosquito, mm-hmm. um, so we mustn't uh, confuse that issue. And in South Africa, we have set up a lot of uh, we're setting up a lot of surveillance um, to to look at our own mosquitoes, but I think our risks are really low. Well, thank you to you both, Professor Lucille and Dr. Sarah. Thank you for giving us your time. I know you're busy at this at this point in in time, so thank you for giving us this uh, prolonged period to speak to us. Thank you. That was uh, both of our guests there giving us their time on this very, very serious moment in health history. Uh, what are your thoughts around the conversation we're having today? Uh, do SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can go to our Twitter handle at African Dialogue and you can interact with us there. We also have the at Channel Africa One Twitter handle. Don't forget our Facebook page. It's titled Channel Africa. Today we were covering the Zika 
Zika virus. You know now it's called a global public health emergency. Now this emergency means that 194 member states of the World Health Organization have to gather together to really to investigate the cause of the problem. It is the fourth emergency to be declared since the system was established in 2005. And so the responsible thing for us as South Africans, the responsible things to do as um, uh, really global individuals, the global citizens, we need to really go on the internet. Google is very accessible. Really find out more about this particular virus. And uh, hey, let's be responsible in also how we speak about it on social media. And let's not uh, send around misperceptions because that could create unnecessary uh, chaos or misperceptions. So let us know your thoughts. Remember, you can SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can uh, tweet us at African Dialogue or at Channel Africa One. Let's have a little song uh, before we move on to our economics news. This is Johnny Clegg, Asimbonanga. Asimbonanga. La pecona, la pecelicona. Así bonanga, así bonango mande la china. La pecona, la pecelicona. Yeah. 
Well, let's quickly move on and get our economics news from Asanda Matsaunyani. Good morning. Zimbabwe is disputing the World Bank's poor economic growth forecasts of 2016. On Wednesday, the global lender predicted that growth would remain the same as 2015 at 1.5%. The bank says El Nino-related weather, low mineral prices as well as water and power shortages are contributing to the slowing of the economy. However, Zimbabwe's finance minister, Patrick Chinamasa, says the country will achieve close to double the bank's projections. Meanwhile, the African Development Bank says strong investment flows to Africa will sustain high economic growth on the continent, even amid low oil prices and a slowdown in China. The bank says Africa may grow 4.4% this year, despite increasing current account and fiscal deficits caused by falling export revenues and depreciating currencies. Gross domestic product rose 4.5% last year. Africa's largest mobile group, MTN, has hired a former top U.S. law enforcement official to help challenge a 3.9 billion U.S. dollar fine imposed by Nigeria. Citing people familiar with the situation, it is said that former U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder pleaded with Nigerian officials last month on behalf of the telecoms company. MTN was handed a $5.2 billion penalty in October last year. The Malawi kwacha continues to depreciate against major foreign currencies such as the U.S. dollar, British pound, the South African rand and European euro. This has forced the cost of living to be unbearable with those in towns and villages failing to have a proper balanced diet. Some sleep on an empty stomach because various maize selling points have dried up. George Mango reports from Blantyre. One U.S. dollar sells at 741 Malawi kwacha and a British pound at 1,000 kwacha in commercial banks, thereby posing a threat to people. This is why prices of various food commodities go up daily, and retailers are winners as they take advantage of the short supply on the market. South Africa's power utility ESCOM will over the next decade source an average of 22 million tons a year of coal from new supply agreements. This as it seeks to have 2 billion tons in stock by 2051. ESCOM says it will seek to ensure there is access to coal that is affordable. Coal supplies almost 90% of the power needs in Africa's most developed economy. Looking at the financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 16.19 to the South African Rand, 11.30 to the Botswana Pula, and 11.23 to the Zambian Kwacha. It's also trading at 0.69 to the British Pound and 0.91 to the Euro. On the commodities market, gold is trading at $1,139 and platinum is at $884 an ounce, while the price of Brent crude oil is $35.40 a barrel. For Channel Africa Economics News, I'm Asanda Matsaunyani. Musiburi just walked in to give us our sports news. Good day, sports fans, and starting off with football news, DR Congo has qualified for the finals of the 2016 Chan tournament in Rwanda. This after beating Guinea 5-4 on penalties after the match ended in a 1-0 draw in 120 minutes at the Amaro Stadium. DR Congo's coach Florentin Benge alluded to the fact that Guinea were one of their toughest opponents in the competition, describing them as the Brazil of Africa after giving them a torrid time. Speaking through an interpreter, Benge says, or rather also praised players on their resilience even after they conceded a late goal that almost demoralized the team.
pénalité, les pénalty. Et euh, je leur ai parlé individuellement pour, pour leur dire que le match n'était pas fini et qu'il fallait euh, faire exactement comme on a travaillé à l'entraînement, que chacun doit se commémorer ce qu'il a fait à l'entraînement, ne pas changer pendant la durée de, de ce, ce, ce parcours entre le milieu de terrain et le point de pénalty, de se concentrer juste sur l'endroit où il va tirer et, et de tirer comme on a fait à l'entraînement, tout simplement. Et, Uh, we thought uh, after Guinea Ecoles against us, all I have to do is to talk to my players and uh, tell them that the match is not over yet, that they have to do as we talked in the trainings. Uh, they have to focus on the, on the place in the goal where they're going to shoot and then shoot. All I had to say was for them to keep the, the match going as we planned. Meanwhile, Mohamed Khan um, Fu Bangura, the Guinea head coach, praised the DR Congo team, saying they lost against a very good and organized team. The coach explained that their opponents were very tactical and closed out their wings, which reduced supply into the box. However, although his objective was to finish top or rather second in the tournament, he is happy in, his, in their first attempt in the event they managed to reach the semifinals. On local football news, Orlando Pirates coach Eric Tinkler felt his side performed better in the first half than in the second half against um, Ajax Cape Town on Wednesday night. Pirates managed to hold on after a nervy end to their 2-1 win over Ajax Cape Town at Orlando Stadium thanks to an own goal and a second half goal from Sifiso Mieni. Tinkler admitted delight at the way his troops played in the first half and felt they should have had a bigger lead at the halftime break due to the chances created. In terms of our performance, I thought the first half we were very good. Truth be told, I thought we were very good in the first half. We should have killed the game off, in all honesty. We should have come in at halftime, at least 3-0 up, considering the chances that we had. Second half performance was, in my opinion, very, very poor. Although it did start in the last eight minutes of the first half, we seemed to take our foot off the pedal, lose concentration, lose focus. You know, we were dropping off way too deep. We came into this game with a 4-2-3-1 formation because we knew that they would be playing in their 4-3-3 with two more attack-minded midfielders with a one midfielder in the booker sitting, and we had planned for that. In the other matches of the evening, Super Sports United and Bluefontein Celtic played out to a one-all draw. Bologna City defeated Marisburg United by three goals to one. Bedveds, Fitz and Platinum Stars played out to a one-all draw. And it finished two-all between the University of Pretoria as well as Free State Stars. South Africa's top-ranked men's wheelchair singles player Evans Maripa has been awarded a wild card to compete at the 8th ABN Amaru World Wheelchair Tennis Tournament. The tournament takes place from the 9th to the 13th of February in Rotterdam, Netherlands. Maripa, who is currently ranked 16th in the International Tennis Federation wheelchair tennis rankings, will be making his debut in Rotterdam. He says it's a privilege to play against the best players in the world. Well, um, it means a lot to me. Uh, first of all, I mean, it's not a lot of people that can get uh, wild cards like uh, I just did. So I'm lucky to, you know, I'm lucky that they they gave me one. So it's it's one of those uh, <clears throat> tournaments where I have to test myself. You no, know, I guess the top, you know, top ten in the world. It's it's one of the biggest uh, opportunity they gave me that uh, I need to also, you know, uh, see see myself competing against those guys, see how well I can do against those guys. And finally, swimming you, South Africa's coastal city of Durban in the KwaZulu-Natal province will be hosting some of the top local talent when the second leg of the South African Swimming Grand Prix takes place from the 5th to the 7th of February at the Kings Park Aquatic Centre. The 50-meter breaststroke will certainly be an interesting race as World Cup winner um, Cameron van der Berg strives to hold on to the top spot when he competes against Aaron Sweetney as well as Jared Kroos. The trio will also race in the 100 and the 200 meter breaststroke events. Expected, or rather expect a powerful performance from Olympian Chad Leclerc in the 50 meter and the 200 meter butterfly as well as the 50 meter and the 200 meter freestyle races while Douglas Erasmus will show off his skills in the 50 meter and the 100 meter freestyle as well as the 50-meter butterfly events. While those are your sports teams at the South, stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
That's how I uh, wrap it up for this week. Thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you to those who have been uh, joining us and interacting with us on our Twitter handle, at African Dialogue. You can also find us there on Twitter. Just go there as well if you haven't been there, at African Dialogue. Or find our Channel Africa Twitter handle, at Channel Africa One. Don't forget the Facebook page. Uh, It's simply titled Channel Africa. And you can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Remember, we have other language uh, programs here on uh, uh, Channel Africa. Shinyanja, uh, French, Portuguese, Shilozi. Uh, so, uh, hey, we've got a lot of diversity here on our station. So do keep that uh, support. Uh, but remember, African Dialogues comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. So we won't be with you tomorrow. But until next week, Monday, God bless.